Hi, welcome back to the Stories from the Ashes podcast. I am Amber and this is Amanda and we are here to pontificate on books and the stories that define and refine us and we are glad you are here with us today. Our topic today is going to be home libraries, who needs one, why we should have one. I think that we should refer all the way back to Plato and what he had to say about home libraries. And he is on record, who knows, right? But Plato is on record as saying, a house that has a library in it has a soul. So that's my launching point is my belief that a house with a library has a soul. (laughs) What about you, Amanda? Well, I think it's great that we're talking about this because we have very different libraries Mm -hmm. and there's no one right library for any one person. But I do agree that it is a necessity of life, just like Caroline Bingley. I could not live without a home library, but I am more sincere than she was. Yeah. (laughs) I can vouch for you on that. Um, So I just want to touch on the academia aspect of the benefits of having a home library. This isn't where we're going to spend the majority of our conversation, but it is valid. And so I feel like it's at least worth giving a little bit of time to so that everyone that hasn't heard this before can hear it now. So there was a study done in 2018. I'm going to read some of this off my phone. And the study was called Scholarly Culture, How Books in Adolescence Enhance Adult Literacy, Numeracy, and Technology Skills in 31 Societies. So it was a pretty big study um, and the first of its kind And the abstract says, a growing body of evidence supports the contention of scholarly culture theory that immersing children in book-oriented environments benefits their later educational achievement, attainment, and occupational standing. These findings have been interpreted as suggesting that book-oriented socialization, indicated by home library size, equips youth with lifelong tastes, skills, and knowledge. However, to date, this has not been directly assessed. Here, we document advantageous effects of scholarly culture for adult literacy, adult numeracy, and adult technological problem solving. Growing up with home libraries boosts adult skills in these areas beyond the benefit accrued from parental education or own educational or occupational attainment, which is pretty exciting. So basically, we will we'll link to the article um, the study in the show notes for people that want to read it. It's a scholarly article, so it's like $35 to download it. But there's a article on the website Big Think that did a whole bunch of like clips from the study. So we'll link to that article as well if you just want to get an overview. But some of the highlights that I find really encouraging are that you don't need a lot of books to get this benefit, that the the benefit starts at, I believe it's like 85 books is what they consider to be like a decent amount of books to surround a kid with. And then it caps at 350. So if you have a library of 350 books in your home, you're not going, they weren't seeing more benefits at more books. So if you're like, I'm in a small space, I have this apartment or this log cabin, we're never going to 
have a library like so-and-so has, that's okay. Your kids can still see the benefits educationally from having grown up in a bookish environment if you have books between, it's like 83 or 88 or something, books and 350 books. So I think that's really exciting. But the paper finds that growing up with home libraries boosts adult skills in these areas beyond the benefits accrued from parental education or own educational or occupational attainment. And we've talked about that before when we talked about the cardio surgeon, Ben Carson, how his mother was illiterate, but she read in front of her kids, like pretend read as they were reading to set that culture in her home. And it had these huge impacts on her kids. So in in the same way, having these good books in your home is going to have a good effect on your kids, regardless of what your own educational, personal educational level was. So I don't know. Have you read that article, Amanda? Or seen the study at all? I had seen the study. And first of all, I have heard that a lot of these studies that are behind a paywall, if you just contact the people who did the study, they're allowed to give it out for free. Yeah. Even if it's behind a paywall. So if you really want the study, you could try contacting uh, one of the authors. But even in my own life, my parents were not huge readers, but I became a reader because it was important to my parents to surround mm-hmm. me with books. And yeah. so I've seen that in my own life that just having books available can make all the difference in the world. That's awesome. I I found it and it said in the article that the study, which was led by Dr. Joanna Sakura of Australian National University, found that the greatest gains were when a home had from 80 to 350 books. It was just a round number and that no gains were seen above that number. And what I found interesting was that it said that Scandinavian families have the largest book collections with 14% of Norwegians and 13% of Swedes having 500 more books in their home. So I was like, oh, it's my Swedish blood. I was born to be this way. <laughs> well, with as much winter as they have, you'd ha- I yeah. mean, you, need, mm-hmm. you need books to cozy up in the winter and right. sit by the fire and read. Yeah, but you think of those Swedish Christmas traditions, right, where Christmas Eve is chocolate bar and a book. So... It clearly is part of part of their culture, which which I love. So that's the the just the basic educational value to a home with kids having books in the home. But I think Amanda and I are hoping to touch more on the other aspect because I mean you can read on those those topics all day. There's a lot of people that have covered it really well. But we just want to talk about the value that we have seen in having a home library for education, but more for comfort and inspiration and entertainment and even necessary wholesome distraction. So those are our main things that we see a benefit for a library in your home. Because you are not off the hook. If you don't have any children, you still need a library for yourself. (laughs) Right. You still need those things for you. (laughs) Because who doesn't need comfort or, Mm -hmm. I mean, or education. I was reading some philosophy somewhere, and I think it's correct that education's living. 
You know, mm-hmm. people people who are not constantly learning are very stagnant and you don't want to become stagnant. They've done so many brain studies on how the brain just starts deteriorating when you stop learning something new. And so I think that a lot of our listeners in our community probably already have bought into the idea of being lifelong learners and have a lot of books that represent that, but maybe are more more prioritizing those educational books over books that can just feed the soul. So I think we want to talk about um, both of those benefits. So I think that one of the biggest reasons to not have a home library that we've heard is space, which I think that that article kind of helped to dispel that one because uh, I can tell you pretty confidently that one bookshelf of standard size will hold about 350 books. (laughs) So (laughs) with one bookshelf, if you fill it intentionally, you will have met those best benefit possibilities uh, for your kids and your yourselves. Everyone can have a shelf. And then within that, or beyond that, the other biggest thing that we've heard is families choosing to not prioritize it because their local public libraries are so good. And if you have a local public library that is full of good, true, and beautiful books, I am so happy for you. Very, mm-hmm. very happy. And I think that's great that you have that resource and something that you can go to. But I also think that there are situations where our libraries close, which the last few years have shown us are surprising and out of our control. And so if you are planning for the future and seeing that things like this have happened now in our lifetime and could easily happen again, it might just behoove you to have a little bit of books laid up for a rainy day. I'd like to think that library closing is over for my lifetime, Mm -hmm. but you never can be sure. (laughs) Yeah. And there's other situations that can get in between you and a library. Um, Weather. Weather can get in between you and a library. We had the derecho here, which, you know, Iowa had not seen a land hurricane since the 1800s, and that shut everything down for a while. Uh, We had the flood. We had the flood when when our city had its flood. Was that like 12 years ago now? Oh, eight. It was 2008. Oh, okay. At that time, it was the single largest library loss in United States history. And then since then, Hurricane Harvey beat it. But I mean, that was an inland mess that resulted mm-hmm. in massive library loss. And it took years for our library to rebuild. So I think that just being aware of the fact that we don't have control over those things, we also don't have control over our own homes, right? Like we had a house fire. And in our case, the Lord spared almost all of our books, which was miraculous. We only lost books in two rooms because obviously we have books in every room. <laughs> <laughs> So we lost, (laughs) yeah, we we lost books in in two rooms, and other than that, they were salvageable. So obviously, there's there's no no assurance, right? Like we lose books, the public library loses books. So I'm not even saying 
that you have to have as many books as we have in our home at risk of being lost to weather. And we have a lot of members in our Facebook community that have suffered from floods and or mold or and mold from from moisture and not not understanding how to how to safely have books in highly humid areas and things of that that nature. But it it definitely is worth being intentional in building at least a small library within your your own home. It's diversification. You diversify everything else and it's good to have some different ways to access literature. Yeah, absolutely. And so we think it's healthy to be bored. That's what I tell my kids all the time when they're like, I'm bored. I'm like, good. I'm so happy for you that you have achieved that level of freedom (laughs) of being bored. And so I find it really beneficial to have a lot of books strewn about the house because I purposefully leave out books that I know my kids will find interesting when they're bored and then they have the freedom to go and find them. My boys, I, I, so we don't do Sesame Street. We just, we don't watch a lot of PBS. I really like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the old school stuff, and the kids like Daniel Striped Tiger. So we have a deal where they can watch like the newer Daniel episode. They can watch one for every episode of Fred that they watch because I want him <laughs> to be formative for their childhoods as well. But we've never done Sesame Street. Like they know Big Bird from the Muppet movie. So I had the Sesame Street Dictionary when I was little, and it was just like in my box of baby things. So with the fire and moving back home, like everything, that that box had been in storage. So now it had come back from storage and everything was getting unpacked. And they somehow found this dictionary and became obsessed. Like they were just obsessed with it. Because basically, if you think about it, these creative little dictionaries for younger kids are basically comic books, right? Like each square that gives the definition of a word has some little story that's going on in it. And so it's just these little tiny bite-sized stories all over the place. So they fell in love with this dictionary. So then I was talking to Ever and I asked him, I was like, you know, are are there still things from the fire that you want mommy to prioritize replacing that you don't have right now or that got broken and he's like yeah well I need my other dictionary back like what other dictionary and he brings me like a few pages of the Mr. Man and Little Miss dictionary and he's like I need this one like it lost its cover and then it's just falling apart they were dragging chunks of this dictionary around still reading it and they they didn't have any exposure to the further world of Little Man or Mr. Man and Little Miss and so They were trying to discover like which character from the cover of the book matched the characters within to figure out what their names were. And they'd created this whole adventure for themselves. My seven and nine-year-old boys had. So I, I found a copy on eBay and ordered it. And they just, they now have three children's dictionaries that are their choice of reading when they're not reading Calvin and Hobbes. And you cannot walk into a bathroom without removing a dictionary from the floor and able to, <laughs> in order to be able to go in because this is like their bathroom reading of choice or these huge dictionaries. So well, I 
I just really liked that we we had these things on hand, things that I just randomly had chosen thinking maybe one of my kids will like these. My girls didn't like them, but I held on to them and then they just were exactly what the boys wanted. And with Nightly being on the autism spectrum and really having some verbal challenges with understanding what words mean and grasping language. These books have been incredible for him in helping him understand what the words mean at a really basic level that he wouldn't have gotten if I was just like, here is a Webster's dictionary that's five inches thick. Go ahead and read this, right? Like it would not have connected and the the visual of the illustration with the definition wouldn't have made that connection. So I'm really glad that we strew books and that dictionary from Sesame Street had accidentally gotten strewn and it just ended up being <laughs> the perfect thing and exactly what they needed. But with my with my older girls, I do the same thing. Like I'll just leave books out that fit a theme that I've seen they've been reading or seem like something interesting. And and picture books. You know how I feel about picture yeah. books. I think I have- that picture books are for everyone. I have way better luck strewing picture books than anything else because yeah, thick books are intimidating, but when you're just bored and looking for something to do, picture books are really easy to pick up. Yes. All of my kids are constantly picking up strewn picture books from my three-year-old up to my 15-year-old, and they are learning so much and enjoying them so much. And so I really... I do a lot of picture books strewing from the public library. Like we get a lot of picture books from there. And then I do a lot more careful curation of chapter books and bigger story worlds that they're going to dive into. But we also have a lot of our own picture books as well Mm -hmm. that if, if we needed to rely on them, we would be able to do that. We often just buy our favorites from the library. Like we, you know, we'll get 50 books out from the library of picture books and then maybe buy five every 10 of them if it was a good haul that we really liked to build our own collection. It even works. The strewing picture books even works on adults. My husband will pick up something sometimes and <laughs> it works on me too. If uh, if I go to your house and you've got picture books around, I'll pick one up. And Yeah. We have this giant coffee table in front of our fireplace that is the main seating area in our keeping room, you know, so it's attached to the kitchen. So it's where everyone always congregates. Mm -hmm. And whenever we have adult company coming over, I like curate picture books and throw them on the coffee table. And I have never, ever had an adult come through my house that didn't in their own moment of boredom in between conversations start picking up the picture books and read them. And then they share them with somebody next to them like, oh, look at this. You know, this is really interesting. Or that person's like, what are you reading? Tell me about it. And picture books are written. um, A lot of people think that they're just for little kids because of the pictures. But most of them are written at a much higher reading level because they're meant to be read aloud. And so they don't have to rely on the reading vocabulary of a child. They can rely on the comprehension vocabulary, which is much higher. And so it's completely interesting for adults. So I usually throw out some history or mythology picture books when when we're going to have company. I feel like I 
even the picture book biographies and histories and mm-hmm. mythologies too, I feel like I absorb so much more from them because it's less fire hosey and mm-hmm. you can just take what you're ready to learn and, and leave the yeah. rest. Yeah. And I'm so visual. I feel like I get more of an emotional imprint from a story than a facts imprint. Like I could never remember dates and time periods very well as a kid. That was always my least favorite part of taking tests. And I could tell you exactly how people probably were feeling and what the emotional impact on the community or on the people group had been that had experienced said event in whatever those years were. And I don't think it was until I was an adult that I really was able to be like, okay, this is probably the order of all these books that I know pretty loosely. Like I know their stories and loosely, I think this is the, the order of events. But I like having my own selection of books at home to be able to draw from for this strewing for a company and for my kids. And if we happen to find some new bug when we're outside playing, then we can throw out a few bug books and not have to wait a few days to get back to the public library and potentially have lost that spark of interest and the moment of curiosity Mm-hmm. sometimes passes. So Amanda, let's let's talk about where do you start? If you let's say you have a clean slate, right? You don't have any books from your child childhood, you are newly married, you have your first couple of kids and you want to start building a home library and you join the Reshelving Alexandria Facebook group and you're overwhelmed by how many people have 6,000 books or more, which just isn't going to ever be for you. Or you feel pressure to get there really fast. So what what should you really do in that situation? I think, first of all, you should take a step back and breathe because it's really mm-hmm. easy to see this person is almost done with their landmark collection and this person has all of this collection yeah. and feel like there's some race to the finish. Right. I have to get everything, all this. This is the only way these are the books I have to have and I have to have them now. And that's a really good way to go broke. (laughs) 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 And there's so many good books. Like there's not one great book about Alexander Hamilton. There's a lot of books. So there's not one you have to have, but you start with the book you're going to read. Start where you're at because a book that's just going to sit on your shelf for 10 years. It might be, you know, if you find a great deal on it, that's great. Mm-hmm. But start with the books you're going to read and that you want to share with your family now and then move on. Yeah. And I think within the start with the book you're going to read, a lot of times we then the follow-up question is, so I know I want this book, right? Like I know I want a book of Andrew Lang's fairy tales to read to my kids, which edition do I buy? Which copy do I buy? And I think then it still applies. Buy the book you're going to read. Buy the one that you feel confident handing to your kids. Is the copy originally published in 1850 beautiful? Yes, it is. Are you going to feel confident reading it with your five-year-old or letting your eight-year-old read it by themselves? Absolutely not. Like that just does not seem like a wise investment to spend $90 on that book and then hand it to somebody who's still drooling and so (laughs) or or has sticky fingers or even yourself yes I bought 
the Burgess Animal book, and I was going to use it for school, and I found an old copy that wasn't horrifically expensive, but it was still expensive, and I bought it, and I was going to use it for school, and it was just, like, alarming, even holding it myself, so I ended up having to get a paperback that I wasn't afraid to read. (laughs) Right, right. Yep. Yeah, so I know a lot of people who who do buy more than one copy of a book. And you don't have to do that. This is not prescriptive. This is just what some people are doing that works for them. Some people will buy a copy that is for the parent to read to the kids. They might get a really pretty copy of a junior illustrated classic. And then they buy a paperback that their kid can go sit in the treehouse and read. And no one's going to cry if, as the child is developing maturity and the ability to remember crap, (laughs) they leave it in the rain, right? So like no one's going to suffer in that situation. So yeah. obviously we we hope. <laughs> I I left a stack of books on our three seasons porch earlier this week and came out the next morning right before it started raining. And I was like, I was going to do this to myself. <laughs> and so I definitely try to have grace for my kids when they do it because I know I'm yep. still just as capable of leaving books in the rain or dropping something in the tub. So sometimes people will choose to have a reading copy and a copy that is the family read aloud copy. This week, my youngest did not drink her tea. She wants tea every day and half the time she will, it's herbal tea. Half the yeah. time she'll drink it and half the time she won't. <laughs> this week, mm-hmm. she did not drink it. She left it on the coffee table next to a stack of books. And the doc decided to sample it and sloshed it everywhere. Oh, yes. So our books were wet. Oh, Thankfully, nothing was yeah. valuable. Yeah. I didn't tell you this, Amanda. Two weeks ago, when you guys were over, the next morning, I went out onto the Three Seasons porch, and the table was covered in chapter books, like just spread out all neatly. There were about eight of them. And Inara had come out with me, and I was like, Inara, what are, what are these books doing out here? Like, this is random how they're organized, and there's like this little doll sitting next to them. Do you know anything? Like, why are these books here? I haven't even seen these books. I don't know where they got unpacked from, from the move, nothing. I don't know where these books came from. And she's like, oh, yeah, Cora and Lily. So for those of you listening, those are Amanda and I's youngest. <laughs> Lily is three and Cora is Five. four. Five. Five. Um, but they're the same size. <laughs> so they look they look like little twins and they're little best friends. So Inara's like, oh yes, this one was actually pretty cute, mom. She's like, Cora and Lily brought all of these books out in this gift bag. And I was asking them what they were doing. And they were like, Well, we're playing mommy and mommy, and we're friends. And Inara's like, okay, so what's with the bag of books? And Lily's like, well, it's my friend's, my friend mommy's birthday and mommy's like books. And I was like, oh, yes, there we go. (laughs) Mommy's like books. It's true. So they had like spread out their little stack of gifts as they were being friend mommies with each other and giving the gift of books because obviously that's what mommies like for their birthdays. Obviously. That's what her mom gives for gifts. Exactly. Mommies like to give them and receive them. So, yes. So either way, as I digress, the point is you can have more than one copy of a book 
people are often like, do I need more than one copy? Maybe you do. Maybe you are in a season of life where you want to go to the park and read with your kids and you don't want to be bringing your favorite illustrated copy, but you still want that favorite illustrated copy because that's what you read around the fire at home. So it can be valuable to have a couple copies, but you don't have to. So then if you're down to the choice, it's like, well, I can only have one, have the one you're going to read, have the one you're not going to feel scared of and leave on the shelf. It reminds me of when my kids were younger and I was in decision paralysis on what to read. What do I read to them? Because I want to read them the best book for this moment and this time, but it was it was crushing because there were so many options. Because like you said, there is no best Hamilton book. There's multiple Hamilton books that are equally good. And, and even as, you know, when they're little, it's like, there's no best picture book to read when you're staring at 50 good picture books, just read them one. Don't get so stuck in decision paralysis that you don't read at all, which is such a crying shame. And they were really lucky that their dad was reading them all sorts of nonsense while their mom was just completely paralyzed going, I don't know what to read. And (laughs) daddy's over there happily reading I Touch by Rachel Isadora for the hundred millionth time, which is such a cute book. And it, it actually helped my kids a lot because one of the lines in it, it's a board book with like two words on each page. Like I touch daddy's beard. I, it's scratchy. I, you know, touch the paper. It crinkles, but there's this one page that has a cup up on a counter and it says, I do not touch the cup. It is hot. And that was so good for our kids since I always have hot chocolate that they were like, I do not touch the cup. It is hot. And they they would go hot, 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 hot. (laughs) So it was like one of their first words when they were little. But yeah, so buy the books you're going to read. Accept the books you're going to read. If people give you hand-me-down books, you don't have to keep them all, just like you don't have to keep all the hand-me-down clothes you get. So pick what's best for your home and your library and then pass it on to somebody else and they can pick what's good for them. That will change over your lifetime. I've been, Mm -hmm. you know, Cora's our last. She's five. I've been sorting through the baby books to sort through, A, what's good enough to keep and B, Mm -hmm. what's good enough to pass on because- Books will pass through your life. You won't, you don't have to keep them all forever and ever and ever. Yeah. When they no longer serve you, they will serve someone else. Yeah. I, li- I always feel like books are on a journey. Like they find the right person when they're supposed to. A lot of books I have, I'm like, why do I even have this? And then at some point someone's looking for the book and I'm like, oh, I have that. Here you go. You can keep <laughs> it because clearly I was just holding it for you. <laughs> I was just a stop on its journey. So so there's a few ways to get books that are beneficial. One, if you have little kids in your home up to the age of five, there's the Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, Mm -hmm. which I have been quite impressed with their selections. And it doesn't serve all of the country here in the U.S., just portions of it. Mm -hmm. So if you go to their website, which we'll link in the show notes, you can put in your zip code and it'll tell you if it covers your area. But Lily has never had anything new that's just for her as a regular occurrence being child number five. So I went ahead and signed her up for this. So she's going to be getting a book a month for the next year. And And I will note that my sister-in-law has 
four children. She had four children in, in less than four years. And she signed them all up for Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. They didn't get any duplicates last mm-hmm. I checked with her. So they do a good job making sure you're getting yeah stuff. So it's worth yeah. signing and up. I'm, I'm fairly certain they also offer the program in Spanish. Can you oh. do you recall that? I'm, I'm I don't know. I know I've seen the books in Spanish at the books at like Goodwill. I've seen the same books that I know kids have received in yeah. English and Spanish. So I don't recall from the signing up period if if I did that, but I'm pretty sure that they do offer some bilingual books. So that would be worth looking into also. The other program is called PJ Library for Jewish Kids. This is just for our Jewish family listeners. So if you are not Jewish, this program is not for you. Please do not go and sign up and say that you're Jewish just to get the free book, which unfortunately I know some people have been doing because that hurts programs like this that are trying to serve a specific community. So the PJ Library for Jewish kids, they offer it. Did you say it was 12 when we were talking about it last night? Yeah, it was up through age 12, which was amazing. Surprising, but amazing. Mm -hmm. So they send out a Jewish-based book every month, and we would highly recommend if you're a Jewish family looking for a service like that, that you would check out the PJ Library, and we will link that in the show notes as well. And then those are the free programs that we are aware of here in the States. If you are outside the U.S. and you are aware of any programs like this, please drop them in the comments because that would be beneficial to other listeners as well, I am sure. So the other way that you can build your library on a budget, which will be its own episode at some point, but we'll just touch on it here, is you can go to garage sales, you can go to book sales at your library, thrift shops are really good. Something that some people have used very successfully is their local buy nothing groups. If you have any of those in your area, they just put a post out saying that they're willing to accept books like this. And then sometimes a lot of them will come their way. The other thing is just let people know. Let people know what you are looking for and you will be amazed what happens. I got a call from one of my friends a couple weeks ago and she's a teacher in a public school. She teaches Spanish and she said that one of the that the math and science teacher was clearing out her shelves and I think she was moving away from books because the kids weren't reading them and she was going to do manipulatives on the shelf space instead. So I went with her and I rescued like four big boxes of good books that I wanted to read And I was really sad that uh, the kids weren't reading them, but I was going to get them into some good homes. So uh, they either went on our shelves or we're rehoming them into the reshelving Alexandria community. So you can, you know, people have to know, like I just got a text message that was like, hey, Amber, let's go rescue books from the school. And it's like, awesome, let's do it. So (laughs) just let people know what you're looking for and what you're down for. And they will tag you in when, when the time is right. Yeah. And then there's also, you know, other websites like Better World Books. So not just mm-hmm. thrift shops, but thrift right. store type. I guess it's not thrift store, but thrift like websites are great. Thrift too. store prices for what thrift most of the thrift prices. stores have become. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Definitely. and 
And don't be discouraged if you're in big book groups or you have friends and they're getting books for a quarter each and you haven't seen a book for less than $2. It can feel very discouraging, but Mm -hmm. it is so based on location. A lot of people are in book deserts and they... You, just, you need to know that you are. <laughs> you are in a book desert, baby, and it is okay. And it's not because you're not trying. It's not because you're not looking hard enough. It just is what it is. Those of our members that are on the East Coast that's having a book sale, five locations in their town every weekend, and the books are a quarter each, you are not in a book desert. And you have responsibilities <laughs> to rescue those books <laughs> before they land in a dump. And you can rehome them to your friends across the nation in the book deserts if you are mm-hmm. so interested. Otherwise, just rescue them for yourselves and for your own local homeschool communities or church libraries or little free libraries. Those are great for stuffing into little free libraries when you drive past them. If you look in your community, since we're talking about little free libraries, a lot of times there'll be little free libraries will be in front of places like public schools and Salvation Army and a lot of local missions in your community, like halfway houses and domestic shelters will have the little free libraries. I've been really impressed with seeing them there, but I've been equally sad at seeing them empty. So it's really valuable to have a stockpile of books that you're willing to just drive around town and feed into those those boxes to serve your community. So if you have access, that is a responsibility to be giving back. And that is a good way to do it. But don't feel bad if you're like, I'm going out, I'm looking, I'm trying to find books and they just aren't there. I am sorry. That's just the way it is. And that's when places like Better World Books and Thrift Books They do run some really incredible sales. You can stack Mm -hmm. deals. They will, if you sign up for the text messages, like a couple weeks ago, Better World Books sent me a text message for like 25% off three or more books. So if your books are like four bucks anyway, and then you're getting 25% off of that, that's nothing to snub your nose at, Mm -hmm. as my grandma would say. (laughs) Don't snub your nose at that. The unfortunate thing is Better World Books keeps a running tally of how many books you've bought. And so Do they? I get a, whenever I check out, I get a thing saying I've saved this many books, which sounds really good. And then you're like, wow, I have bought a lot <laughs> of books. <laughs> so it depends on where you sit, whether you're encouraged or discouraged. Yeah. But. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to (laughs) where do you start? So you start with what you're going to read. And so that can be twofold. So that can be if you are home educators, it can be whatever you need for school next and prioritizing those books. And if you are not a home educator, it can be for whatever you're supplementing your kid's education with. If you feel that there's some gaps in their knowledge or what they're being exposed to, then find those books and use them for read-alouds. And then also just soul food, like books that you want to be in your family's vernacular. I am so grateful for the Green Ember series 
and for the conversations that have been able to come out of that series in my family because we all share the same story. We all know it. We're able to relate to it. So when something happens, we can relate back to that and say, well, remember when this happened, how it played out, or it was similar to when this person experienced this hardship and we see that that wasn't the end of their story. So Find those stories that will resonate in your home with your needs and and with things that you don't even think are coming, like (laughs) just hard things, right? We are human. Everyone's going to have hard things. Part of life is death. So if you and your kids are not reading books on grief right now, now is the time to do that. I, I feel so passionately about this. You need a theology of suffering before you are suffering. And so... You need to get that into your kids, regardless of your religious background, regardless of whether you are religious. You can be atheist and still need a theology of suffering. So if you can find the books in your local library and be bringing them into your home or buying them and finding the best ones for your kids to just be mulling over and spending some time wrestling with and finding some understanding of themselves and the world around them. That will serve you so well in the future to be introducing them to those books now. So I think that's where everybody should start. <laughs> it's on their yeah. theology of suffering. And People- then beyond that, fairy tales and mythology, which can also help feed into that. And People talk about scaffolding for things like mm-hmm. history and, and mythology. And, but it is important for emotional intelligence, too, to yeah. have some of those pegs to hang stuff on when things happen. Yeah, absolutely. There's a quote in the Green Ember that says, it will not be so in the mended wood. And when the Rabbit Room, which is a publishing press and organization of artists, they, that's where like the author, Andrew Peterson of the Wing Feather Saga, he came out of there. And so they were doing a fundraiser auction and, I had the highest bid for Jennifer Trafton, who's an author and illustrator, to make a coloring page on any quote that you wanted. And so we picked the quote from The Green Ember that says, it will not be so in the mended wood. And that's basically just like their courage rallying cry. Like this this is yep. our hope. Our hope is that what we're going through now will not be so in the mended wood. And Inara had colored one of those coloring sheets and taped it on the wall going up the stairs in our house. And I will never forget the moment of coming into the house after the fire. We had lost one of the smoke detectors, so they hadn't been able to find it to shut it off. And our front room has cathedral ceilings. So this smoke detector that had fallen in a random box of books was just like nonstop going off. So it felt very dystopian because it Mm -hmm. smells so heavily of smoke you can feel the humidity from all the hose water. We have new skylights in our ceiling where they poked through to blow water in and put out the fire from the attic. And so as I'm going up the stairs, I it all just feels so surreal. And our neighbor, who had already been through the house when they'd gone in to get our cats after the fire, she had told me, she's like, the, the kids' rooms are gone. Like, just be prepared. The kids' rooms are not there anymore. And so as I was coming up the stairs about to go around the corner, that wall was fine. It was completely in one piece. And that picture was there. And I just like stopped and I looked at it. 
I was like, it will not be so <laughs> in the mended wood. Mm-hmm. And that was such a centering truth for me. And then I was able to, to, you know, summon my courage, my umbo and go up the steps and around the corner and face the next step of our journey. But just being able to, to have that in our shared vernacular, like my kids understood that moment when I shared it with them. And um, I actually, I took a picture of it on the wall before we took it down and then I had it put on canvas. That picture, I had the picture of the uh-huh. coloring page put on canvas and it's back up on the wall in the hallway. And I see it every night when I come up to bed and it's just, uh, it just is a reminder of God's faithfulness through that situation. But yeah, I, I definitely am glad that we had that whole mentality already established mm-hmm. before before we faced all of that. Yep. So so yeah, so find the books you want to read next that match your kids' levels, that match where you're at if you're a mom and you have mom brain. Find something that's comforting for you. It might be a book that you read 20 years ago and you still love. I know a lot of moms that are just reading Anne of Green Gables and Pride and Prejudice like over and over. Like it was their favorite book when they were younger and that's a comfortable coming home feeling for them and they keep reading it. And that's okay. That's going to feed you in a way that you need to be fed. So just find find the books that are right for you for where you are and then build from there. And they'll feed you differently. Little Women. I mm-hmm. reread it a few times and at different stages in my life, the same book mm-hmm. just hits you differently and you take different things away from it. Yeah. So it can last you a whole life. Yeah. Good book last you. Mm-hmm. Having uh, one of my daughters who I shall not name, it's not Inara and it's not Lily. She is very similar <laughs> to Anne in Anne of Green Gables. And I have a newfound respect for Marilla <laughs> that I never had before where I'm like, man, I can like – I can feel her struggle in this moment of just being like, child, come back to earth. <laughs> like, Plant your feet. Stay here in this moment. Let's get this thing done. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree that in different stages, you're going to completely resonate with different people and experiences mm-hmm. in the story. So the other thing that you can do is you can maximize your content for a small space. So if you can only have one or two books on a topic – there's really some good ways to to maximize that space. Amanda, do you want to share what you were telling me about the People's Library book? Yes. I And this goes back to talking to people. They say you will be the same person you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. And just talking to people about your interests will bring about recommendations for books. I had a friend yeah. that... Uh, she knew I was interested in a lot of whole holistic, natural things, and she was showing me. So she was so excited to show me this book that she had gotten from that had been passed down in her family that had been about holistic care, medical, um, cooking, uh, livestock. Because I'm interested in that, <laughs> and so I, I was so excited about this book because it. It's a big, thick volume and had a lot of really interesting information I haven't seen before. And, you know, it's a big, thick volume, but it's 
chock full of information. It won't actually take up that much space on my bookshelves for, because of course now I need to get it. Yeah. <laughs> it won't take up that much space on my bookshelves for how much information it contains. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, that reminds me of like a lot of other things that, you know, anthology collections that can serve you for a long time that don't mm-hmm. take up that much space on your shelves. I think one question we get a lot is I'm going overseas for a few years. What do I take with me? Or we're putting everything in storage and we're going to drive around in our RV and we have limited space. What do we take with us? And I think one of the top recommendations that I see from our group is one of the anthology sets is to either take a childcraft set for more of the history and sciences and then to pair that with something like my book house or junior literary no which one is it the junior library one or the young 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 folks folks library library or the junior library or collier's library like those longer sets that are Mm -hmm. leveled so as your kids are getting older then you're able to level up and Mm -hmm. in the stories and they have such a great mixture of poetry and mythology and history and sciences and some of the volumes in the childcraft book have uh, biographies and a couple of the anthology series have biographies in them and even through golden windows if you have younger kids that one is chock full of kids stories and so many are the complete picture book the complete mm-hmm. story is in there and some of those are unicorns you're not going to find the picture book easily and probably what you would pay for the picture book you could buy the entire set of through golden windows but i also think beyond that you could do like for maths i really like these jean bendick books and she has the mathematics illustrated dictionary and how much and how many the story of weights and measures so you can have a lot of math education happening in these heavily illustrated if you're if you're watching, I'm going to take a second and show you a couple of pictures. But these are very heavily illustrated math books that are completely delightful and just give math information. This one's talking about how to use patterns and how to cut wood properly and do these measurements and bundle your logs and anything that is mathematically inclined is included in those books. So those would be great supplementary books to have on hand if you wanted to be building a math library. And then similar to your your one big book, I really like this book. I'm funny. I know that you think this is one of the more ridiculous books that I own, Amanda. This is called Shep's Giant Library. And it contains sections on religion, drama, music, art, poetry, oratory, fiction, and history. And one, it's pretty, so I really don't need to go much further than that. But it it says in the preface, a great book, said an ancient Greek philosopher, is a great evil. Never were truer words. They must be properly interpreted, <laughs> no doubt. Some books must by necessity be large and yet are by no means evil. But when a book can be put into smaller compass and yet is not, but is made bulky and voluminous, the evil is apparent. 
that which is good in the book is so hidden away that it cannot be found. Men cannot spare time to read so big a book, and thus they altogether fail to get the instruction and the entertainment that are buried within its pages. Mm -hmm. The light of truth is hidden beneath the bushel of useless verbiage. I'm not going to name any names, so I definitely won't be calling out Charles Dickens, but people who were paid by the word, some of their truths get a little buried in the muck, if you know what I mean. Not always. Definitely not him, maybe him, but I think that we can agree. So basically, they go on to say that their stuff is in these very small little sections where they are basically saying, in this paragraph, here is what you need to know about this. But this book has Shakespeare and illustrations, and it has music, like sheet music, Because we all know that music is good for the soul and there's all these waltzes and this huge section of all this music and then all this poetry. But I really like those volumes. Just if you can find them with a solid spine, I definitely wouldn't get one with a weak spine because then it becomes a book we will not read and it will just sit there because we're afraid of hurting it. But if you can find one with a solid spine, they'll last if people are careful with them and they're just really fun to look through. And if you have a high school student that is bored, I just tend to point my kids this way and be like, just go look in there, find something interesting and then tell me about it. And then they just get sucked in and you see them hours later and they don't have anything to share with you because they've moved on with their lives. (laughs) But that's okay because they fell for it. (laughs) I'm jealous of your Delphian Delphian set, Mm. but that's my plan for when I don't have children that I'm educating in my house. I'm just going to do some self-education through that that course. Yeah, the Delphian course was incredible. It's uh, multiple volumes. I don't know how many volumes, but it takes up about this much space on the shelf. And it was created and designed and written specifically for women who had gotten their MRS degree straight out of high school. <laughs> And it was so that they could continue learning in their education specifically so that they could make good conversation when they were at parties with their husbands, which I think is funny. My it's husband doesn't funny. go to parties, but <laughs> but it, it was my own education. Yeah, yeah. It was meant to give them the equivalent of a Bachelor of Arts degree if they did it by themselves, if they went through all of these books. And there's so much in them, and they are so interesting and well-written. So I'm actually planning on starting through them with my eldest for her senior year. So I have a set for me for the house, and then she has her own set. And we're going to, I'm going to start her in her senior year because she has expressed that she does not want to go to a four-year college and wants to do a trade instead. And so this will just continue to give her some of the liberal arts education that we believe in, having a lifelong love of learning and just continuing. Classical liberal arts. Yes, exactly. So she can get started her senior year and hopefully get hooked into them because they're definitely the type of stuff she's interested in heavy in mythology heavy in the ancient histories and the first volumes so i'm hoping she'll get hooked and just keep working through them at her own pace after that mm-hmm. and then also you can look for treasuries and storybook collections if you're just browsing those are good keywords 
to be looking at for books that have more books in them. Even like Beatrix Potter, like you can get a bunch of her little books or you can get a treasury and have all of them in it. My sons like to listen to the Thomas the Train treasury before bed. It has the the nice ribbon bookmark, which they think mm-hmm. is just the fanciest thing ever for their train books. So <laughs> take up so much less room on your yeah. shelf. Yeah, is amazing they do. when you're out of short, short on space. And I'm going to tell you, at bedtime, it's so much easier to find a book that's four inches or three inches thick than it is to find something that is an eighth of an inch thick that is the yep. absolute must read of the evening. And you're like, we're going to spend an hour looking for this book because no one's going to calm down. <laughs> yep. So that's fun um, with the paperback picture books. Yeah. It's so hard to find them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the the one last thing that we'd wanted to touch on in purchasing books is to buy books off season. And I know that that is one of the reasons why our group has always done Christmas in July is because I believe very strongly in looking for your Christmas books in July and August. So oh, yeah. that is when you will see us reviewing and recommending Christmas books the most is Christmas in July. We'll take a whole month and do it. But it's so many expensive so books I've gotten in the summer because I can't afford mm-hmm. them at Christmas time. And yeah. yeah, my favorite was The Glorious Impossible, Madeline Langle. Lang- I don't know how you say Langle. her last name. No. And it's so beautiful, but so expensive at Christmas time. Yeah, it's a lot, lot better to buy those sooner. So we just were hoping to give you guys some encouragement and some trail markers for the path forward in building a home library and hopefully you will feel encouraged and I asked Eric if he wanted to talk with us today and he's like what would I even say I have nothing to say on this topic I was like well considering you are a non-reader who has completely come on board with building a home library I think you might have more to say than you think but <laughs> but if you if you were a non non buyer inner of the concept of having a home library I hope that something we said help to get you thinking maybe in a different direction and even if you just start with one one small shelf or one basket of books it is uh, a move in the direction of preparedness for your own family's needs and maybe even the needs of your community in the future so we are appreciative of your time that you have spent with us and remember that the stories are truer than true and drink some water have a good day <laughs>